Today I'm going to be continuing a series that we are doing with you on the whole area of relationships. For the last number of years, we've taken some time in the first part of the, of the calendar new year to do a campaign on a particular topic, and it's proven to be very impactful to us as a church. And not only do we focus on this topic on Sunday mornings, but also in our life groups throughout the week, we, we do a deeper dive into it, and it just allows the truths to go a little deeper. And this year, the, the title of our campaign is Level Up. Revamp Your Relationships, and this is the third Sunday in the campaign. We were planning to do uh, six weeks in the campaign, but I've already decided we're going to have a bonus uh, seventh week as well. So uh, I know that you've been blessed. I've been hearing really great things about it. I introduced the series to you a couple weeks ago by talking to you about the fact that every major problem in the world pretty much is the result of a relationship issue. How well we do in relationships is really going to determine how well we do in life because life is all about relationships. We were created in the image of God who is relational within himself. And so we were hardwired with this need for relationship with him and for relationship with one another. At the beginning of creation, before sin came into the world, Adam was in perfect relationship with God. He had perfect relationship with his wife, but that all changed the moment the serpent, serpent deceived them. With the seeds of sin inside of every human, pride and selfishness and many other heart issues led to breakdowns of every kind. Within one chapter, we see the first murder even occurring. We saw that the goal of Satan is to bruise us on the inside. An apple uh, that falls to the ground can initially show no sign of damage, but within days the trauma or the bruising that occurred from the fall will appear on the outside. And the same is true with us as human beings. As we go through life, things happen to us. Sometimes even in the womb where we experience the inward bruising of Satan. And those bruises, if not healed, will eventually show on the outside and will have a very negative impact on how we relate to one another. Therefore, in order to have healthy relationships, you must be first healthy on the inside. And that's been the focus of these first couple messages. We've been discussing these ways that the enemy bruises us, but also taking hope in the fact that we have a Savior who has come to free us from the bruises of the enemy. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. What a great promise. Thank you, Jesus. Last week, my dad had a great message challenging us to be honest about our brokenness, challenging us about the need for self-awareness. Probably for me, the biggest take-home point was his quote, the truth that will set you free is always the truth that offends you the most. That was a challenging quote. Today, I'm going to do one more message looking at this whole area of bruising. But my emphasis today will be to challenge us to right thinking. We all have bruises. We all have areas of brokenness. We've all experienced rejection at some level. 
We've had things said to us in anger. We've been abused and mistreated. We've been betrayed and accused. We've had areas of real trauma, areas of real loss. No one goes through life unscathed. And for some, the things that have been experienced have been absolutely horrendous. And whether we realize it or not, these experiences and these bruises have actually shaped the way we think. They give us these internal filters or lenses which we view other people and even how we view God. And sometimes we're not even aware of what we really believe about God or even ourselves. We are warped in our concepts of who God is. And we're warped in our concepts of who we are. And because of our bruising, we've built up these defense mechanisms to hide behind and to protect ourselves from being hurt again. But the problem with these defense mechanisms is that they keep us from being healed on the inside. And they ultimately keep us from meaningful relationship with God and from meaningful relationship with one another. And so the question is, how do we break down these defense mechanisms that ultimately keep us bound? How do we remove these filters and how do we, uh, you know, clean off these lenses that shape how we see others and how we shape God and how we see God? I believe that Romans 12 verse 2 gives us the key. Do not conform, the Apostle Paul writes, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so transformation occurs in our lives as our minds are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit as He brings truth to us and by the power of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. Jesus said in John 8 verse 32, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in the time that I have remaining today, I want to look at some truth that we need to believe. I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture this morning, and my prayer is that the Scripture, the Word of God, will speak for itself. I want to give you three things that we need to do or, or to believe that will bring emotional health and wholeness on the inside. And the first one is this. I need to accept myself. I need to accept myself. When we talk about accepting ourselves, we're talking about embracing who we are without any qualifications, without any conditions or exceptions. Self-acceptance has been defined this way. An individual's acceptance of all their attributes, both positive and negative. It's the ability to embrace every part of myself and to be okay with being me. And that is despite all my flaws and regardless of my past choices. Remember that Jesus said we were to love one another as we love ourselves. And so self-acceptance is a big part of that. But I want to say this to you, self-acceptance is probably something that every one of us struggles with in some way, including the great Apostle Paul. We're going to look a little bit at, or we're going to look a lot this morning 
at some of the things that Paul said. Paul struggled with self-acceptance almost to the point of despair. This reality comes out through many of the things that he said in his writings. But Paul was also able to come to real victory in this area of his life. And he gives us some great insights that can help us to do the same. Before Paul was the great apostle of Jesus Christ, he was known by a different name. He was known as Saul. He was a devout Pharisee. He was an intense persecutor of the early church. The first time we are introduced to Saul, who became Paul, was in Acts chapter 7. And it was in the events surrounding the, the story of the very first martyr in uh, Christian history, Stephen. And it says in verse 58 of chapter 7, they rushed at him, this is Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is our first introduction. And so here was Saul guarding the coats of those who had removed them so they could get a better uh, grip on the rock and, and throw it with more intensity. Clearly he was trusted by the executioners and, and was giving his approval for what was taking place. And Saul went on to persecute the church relentlessly before his conversion. And he had to overcome real guilt for having done this. Listen to some of the things that he said. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, he said, And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he wrote, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. He told his young everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Even after Paul was an apostle of Christ, not everyone had a high opinion of him. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10 he wrote, For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak and his speeches are worthless. The Jews despised Paul as a traitor. Many Christians distrusted him for a long time as well. The truth is that Paul had many real causes for self-doubt, and for self-hatred. So how did he overcome all of that? Because clearly he did. The answer is that he identified himself so strongly with the risen Christ that he could stand up on the inside regardless of who opposed him. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul gives us his revelation and declaration of self-acceptance. Let's read in Ephesians 1, chapter 3, or, or chapter 1, verse 3. He said, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world. I, I want you to hear this. Even before He made the world, before our planet existed, God loved us. That, that just blows my mind. Even before the globe, before the world, God loved me. Put your name in there. God loved Joel Wells. God loved Jared Neufeld. Before he'd even created the planets, he loved us and he He was already seeing that in Christ we would be holy and faultless. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. He wanted to adopt you into his family. He loved you before the creation of the world and he chose you in that moment. I'm going to make him pure and holy through my son Jesus. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave all our sins. What a powerful passage. What a revelation. Church, we would do well to meditate on the richness of the truth contained here. If you have made Christ your Savior, it is because God loved you and chose you before creation to be holy and without fault in His eyes. And because you are in Christ, that's your reality in the eyes of God. Holy, without fault. Before creation. God decided He was going to bring you into His forgave you entirely. You are totally accepted by God. That revelation changes how you see yourself. Paul got it. It changed everything. The secret of Paul's ability to accept himself was the discovering of his new identity in Christ. He said this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that, that we, we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died, who was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now, he says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 
There's one of my favorite exclamation points. He's excited about this. A new life has begun. The old life is gone. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we say, come on, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We now have this, we're appealing, saying, come back to Jesus, because this is what he did. On that cross, he became sin. He took all your sin upon himself, and he imputed to us his righteousness. He made us righteous. He gave us his righteousness. And so when we read these words, we can see that Paul no longer identifies himself with the person he used to be. Because that person was buried with Christ in those waters of baptism. That old self died, was buried. When Christ rose in victory, Paul was in Christ rising in victory as a new person. An operation had been performed on his inner man. He was new. The Holy Spirit had been placed inside him as a permanent resident to live out the life of Christ from within him. He no longer saw himself on his own and limited to his own resources. Now he saw himself as one adopted into the family of God, literally a co-heir with Christ, as he said in Romans 8, 17. He had all he needed to become fully the person that God intended him to be. My friends, what is true with Paul is true for you and me. We read earlier how Paul had told Timothy that the fact God had saved him as the worst sinner was to show that he will do the same for all of us. And Paul so badly wanted every believer to have the revelation that he received. In Ephesians, we find Paul praying prayers for the Ephesian church. And one of the prayers that he prayed was, was this one found in Ephesians 3.14 to help them with their self-acceptance. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, on the inside, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do it immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever amen 
This word grasp means to take possession of, to seize the truth and the revelation. And he's praying, oh, Ephesians, I pray you would be able to grasp this. Notice that the inner strengthening was the result of the Holy Spirit's work. There's a work on the inside that only the Holy Spirit can do. And this was Paul's prayer. And church, I pray today for the deep working of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life that we would be able to see who we truly are in Christ and find our identity in Him alone. It's where true self-acceptance is found. A second thing that I need to do to be whole on the inside is that I need a rest in the grace of God. I believe that Paul was able to forgive himself and ultimately accept himself because he recognized that refusing to do so would actually be to oppose the grace of God. Paul never hid from his past. He never minimized it. Instead, he was honest about it, and he actually used it to magnify just how extravagant God's favor and grace to him was. This is what I used to be, and this is what Jesus did. Amazing. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 earlier, but I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to read the next verse. Paul had written, for I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But it doesn't end there. But whatever I am now, and Paul was something now. He was one of the biggest leaders in the church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. It had done something in Paul. And he said, I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Whatever I am, Paul said, was because of the grace of God, because he poured his favor out on me. And I've worked really hard, but I can't even take credit for that, because it was God's grace that gave me the ability to do it. Paul had a healthy self-image because it was rooted in the grace of God. You know, one of the most common causes for self-hatred is a nagging guilt or a feeling of condemnation because we haven't been able to live up to the standard that others have set for us or even the standards that we have set for ourselves and we beat ourselves up at our shortcomings and we feel this enormous pressure to measure up. And it's crippling to us. But what we need to do is trust God that he will make us, that he will make us what he has planned. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had to remind myself of this truth. I remind myself in my lowest moments that God knows me actually better than anyone else. Even my worst critics couldn't, uh, don't know just how bad I am. And those who think I'm great, they have no idea. But God knows me better than anyone. Everything in my life is, is not hidden from him. 
is fully exposed. He knows all my weaknesses. He knows all my failures. He knows all my character flaws. He knows the true me, and yet he still called me and chose me despite all my limitations. That is amazing. I can never be in my own power who I want to be. I can never be in my own strength who God has called me to be and to do what he's called me to do. I can never meet all my own expectations of myself and I can never meet all your expectations. I'm sorry, on my own. All I can do is lean into the grace of God and trust the Lord with my life. I have to trust that even my mistakes he will use for his glory because he is such a God of grace and redemption. That's what Paul did. He said in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Paul was so reliant on the grace of God that he recognized God could use everything, even his failures, even his shortcomings for goods. Paul had grace for himself because he realized that he was still under construction. He was still a work in progress, but God was the one who was doing the work, and he was going to rest on God's. He said to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, and I am certain, I'm certain, he said, that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He isn't going to stop working in you. He's not going to stop working in me. He said to the Thessalonians, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Amen. It's God who's going to do this. He's the faithful one. Church, if God has grace for you, why don't you ease up and have a little bit of grace for yourself? Have some grace for yourself. Root yourself in God's opinion of you. Hey, you might think I stink, but God thinks I'm great. You might think, oh, our pastor has all these flaws. I know he does, worse than you think. And God called me anyways. He chose me anyways. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. If I stink, I look and say, God, you chose a guy who stunk. Wow, who am I that you would choose me? And if it comes off great, I say, oh my God, you know that I had nothing. And here it comes in power and glory. It's you, my God. I worship you. I long to be like my hero, Reinhard Bonnke, who said, I'm immune to the criticisms of man because I'm immune to the praises of man. 
How do you get there? You get there by rooting yourself in God's opinion of you and His grace for you and nothing else. There's such freedom in living in that place. All my failures are covered by His grace and all that I am because of His grace. In that place, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. The third and final thing that I'm going to mention this morning to be whole on the inside is I need to allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from all guilt. I need to allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from all guilt. You know, all of us are familiar with the nagging knowledge that we've done something wrong. We call it guilt. When we fail to obey or do right, something inside us tells us, you're wrong, you're wrong, that was wrong. And I don't know if there's a burden which can produce more pain, fear, and alienation quite like the feeling of guilt. Many people know guilt as a constant burden. Some respond to it like a whipped puppy beaten down and ashamed. Others try to avoid it or stuff it through numbing effects of denial. But no emotion is perhaps more destructive than guilt. Guilt causes a lack of self-respect. It causes our spirits to wither. It eats away at our personal significance. Guilt robs us of our confidence. And if we don't deal with it, it actually begins to define us and shape our identity. You see, undealt with guilt will cross over into shame. And it's shame that shapes us. Guilt in one sense is appropriate. Because it acknowledges I did something wrong. And it urges me to confess and seek forgiveness. But when we cross over from feeling regret and remorse for something we did into shame, it's then we have a much deeper issue. Those feelings can make us sick emotionally, even physically. Shame is that thing which makes us want to hide, which makes us want to withdraw We need to understand there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did something wrong. But shame says, I am something wrong. It's the belief that something is inherently and deeply wrong with me. And that's the identity piece. And some of us have made terrible decisions that have caused deep pain in those we love and maybe even in someone we don't even know. And God will come and even help us to acknowledge the wrong we've done and and feel guilt to spur us into action. But I don't believe He wants us to stay in this place and it's never His will that we would feel shame and have our identity shaped by it. David describes a time in his life when he was feeling the tremendous weight of guilt upon himself. He said in Psalm 32 verse 3, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night I felt your hand of discipline. It was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'm going to confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. You can, ju- you can just feel the sigh of relief. It's gone. 
David's describing for us what life is like when we're carrying the burden of guilt. I want you to notice that the hand of God was upon him. God was trying to lead him to repentance, to honesty, to confession. I believe that it's possible that God keeps his hand heavy upon us when we have something to confess because he wants to lead us to repentance and prevent guilt from turning into shame and becoming that which defines us. Remember, we also have an enemy who wants to destroy us and define us by our failure. And the longer we go without dealing with our guilt, the more room we give him for his whispers and his lies about who we are. And they begin to take root and shape us. So what's the solution to being burdened and weighed down by guilt? David gave it to us. Confession. Never, uh, not covering it up, not running away, not denying, not avoiding, not rationalizing, not overcompensating, simply confession. On the other side of confession is relief, but not only relief, also forgiveness. David exclaimed, God, you forgave me. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. He doesn't just forgive. He also cleanses from all wickedness. There is no stain of sin that the blood of Jesus can't remove. To me, cleansing also implies healing and freedom. In James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God wants you healed. My friends, when we screw up, our accuser, the devil will be right there trying to take our screw up and use it to define us and move us into shame by saying, you are a screw up. You might have screwed up, but let me tell you, the devil is a liar. You are not a screw-up. You can deal with your guilt immediately by coming to the throne of grace and confessing your sin, and there you will find mercy. And in that moment, it's done and it's over. It's finished. It's done. In one moment, it's done. And when the enemy comes to accuse Church, I pray that you would hear the voice that is described in Revelation. It was a voice that reckoned, that, that echoed across the heavenlies. It says this, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Church, let your testimony agree with the grace of God. My sin has been removed. My stain has been cleansed. There is a voice that shouts across the heavens. It is done. Would you join your voice with that voice? Would you agree with that voice and say, it is true in my life. My accuser has been defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ. My friends, let that truth define you. 
Our enemy comes to bruise us, but Jesus came to set us free from his bruises. He's accepted us. He has grace for us. He has cleansed us. He has made us brand new. These are the truths that must guide our thinking. These are the truths that bring transformation. And when you're transformed on the inside, I'll tell you, it'll change the way you relate to those on the outside. Let me end with this verse. It's not on the screen. You know, I was thinking, sometimes we can agree that God has cleansed me from my sin and removed the stain of that. But what about those who sinned against us? I'm thinking about even those that have been abused. Or, and that thing has marked you and defined you. And then I read this verse. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us. To make us his very own people. Every kind of sin. Every kind of sin. Even the sin that was done against you. His blood cleanses. When he makes new, it's all new. That old past is gone. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Clean and holy. Without faults. Spotless. Covered in the blood of Jesus, which washes entirely in every way all the enemy's tentacles, all his stains, all those fingers of sin have been cut and removed because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, with this revelation of who we are in Jesus Christ, penetrate right into the depths of our soul. Holy Spirit, only you can bring that kind of revelation. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Savior, and everything I'm preaching about doesn't relate to you. You stand before God in your own guilt, in your own shame. Every single one of us has to have a moment in our life where we come to the Savior. Salvation is, is available to each and every one of us, and yet not all receive it. It's given to us as a gift, but you have to accept it. The Bible says it's when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's at that moment that we are saved. Paul showed us that we can't be so bad that Jesus can't save us. And yet Paul also said there is none who does good, not even one. We all need a Savior. What I've preached this morning can be true for your own life. You can be forgiven, washed, cleansed, accepted, simply 
by receiving what Jesus has done and saying, I need a Savior. I need to confess my sin. And so if you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. I just want everybody to bow their heads with me and close their eyes in, in, uh, in the sacred moment and reverence before God. I don't want anybody looking around. just want us to focus our eyes on Jesus. And I'm just going to ask this question. You know, the Bible says, if you will acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. I'm just going to ask, just by a show of hands, just, just between you and me and Jesus, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I need a Savior. When you pray this prayer, would you include me in that prayer? I just want you to lift your hands so I can see it, and then you can place it back down. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Is there anybody here this morning? I'm just going to give you this opportunity. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's see a few hands here raised this morning. Let's just, you can put your hands down. Let's just join in prayer together. Even those of you who've made Jesus your Savior before, even as I pray this prayer, just let the truths of it resonate in your heart once again. Jesus, I come before you just totally recognizing that I am broken and bruised because of sin. I can look into my own life and I can just see all these things that I'm ashamed of, things that I've done things that I thought I would never do. Yet, I understand that in your great love, you sent your Son to be my Savior, to take all my sin and all my shame upon Himself, be punished in my place, experience the full wrath of God for my sin, and in exchange, give me His righteousness what mercy. And today I receive this gift of salvation. I receive your mercy. I confess my sin before you. I confess I need a Savior. But I place my faith and my trust on what Jesus did on that cross. I receive his salvation. Jesus, would you come into my life and begin to transform me? Would you begin to change me? I thank you that you've cleansed me. I thank you that even in this moment, the old has gone and I have been made new. Wow. Today, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Father, let the truths of what I've shared today resonate in our spirit. And Lord, I pray that even as the enemy comes to accuse and to lie, that we would hear the voice that echoes across the heavens. Salvation has come at last. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. God, let that be our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you blessed, church? All right, well, you're free to go. If uh, you prayed to receive Jesus this morning for the first time, we have a, a little New Testament Bible we'd love to give you, a little booklet that says, Now What? If you stop by the connection window on your right and just say, I prayed with a pastor today, uh, they'll just be happy to give you that little gift on your way out the door. Pastor Anatoly is up next week. He's got a great message to share with us as we continue the series.
Hey everyone, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We hope you enjoyed it and found something that spoke to you or blessed you in some way. That really is the heart of Harvest City Church, that you take what you've heard, learned, or experienced here, and then go out and share that good news with others. So go ahead and post this video to your page, start conversations, and who knows the lives that God could transform through it. If we can support you in some way in this season, please let us know. Maybe you've decided to dedicate your life fully to Jesus. We want to hear about it and celebrate with you and help you in those first steps. Connecting in to share the joys and the struggles of life is why we're here. Finding community is super important too, so if you're wondering about any of our programs for kids, youth, or adults, just reach out to us by phone or at the link below and we'll be in touch. To all of those who are partnering financially with us, thank you for your investment into the Kingdom of God. It allows us to do what He's calling us to and reach even more people. For more info on that, go over to harvestconnect.ca give. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our live stream chat area at harvestconnect.ca live. It's a great place for interaction, commenting, prayer with our online hosts, and more. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our social pages and all that good stuff too. Take care, keep living your call, and we'll see you again real soon.